Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. And we're live from the closet. Hello. What do you even call this room? This is such a weird place in our apartment that we are now recording. <laughs> this is the bathroom that is not the bathroom. It's We have a room that is just the toilet and the shower, and this is the room that houses the sink. And a storage closet between the walk-in hallway and our bedroom. Correct. So it honestly kind of feels like the piece in Tetris that's a plus sign. Sure. You know, it's just a connector. I have recently figured out that this is the best place in our apartment to record because it has the best sound quality. And I'm honestly... Flabbergasted. I Yeah, I can't believe I haven't... I didn't figure this out sooner after almost three years of having this podcast. Yeah, and this room. <laughs> and this room. Yeah, exactly. But here we are in the room and it's so tiny and the sound quality is probably going to be great. I mean, I've, I've been recording in it for the past few episodes, so I already know the sound quality is great, so it's fine. But this is your first time, so how do you feel? My life is forever changed. You feel cramped? No, I feel comfortable and safe. Good. Kind of like how you feel in a beanbag chair, and it caresses you. Good. That's how this room feels. I love that. Yeah. Well, this episode is um, not going to feel comfortable and safe. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm glad that I've prepped myself. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that I've curated a an environment for you that's going to make you feel comfortable and safe because this episode is going to be a uh, a bunch of stories about freak accidents. So Okay. So we're going to be talking about a bunch of people who just had the worst days ever. Just like straight up not having a good time. Yeah, straight up. They're just, we're not having a good time or the best days ever. Do you know what Murphy's Law is? Doesn't it mean anything that can happen will happen? It's the idea that anything that can go wrong will go wrong. Okay. I was close. Yeah, you were close. But so I don't generally love that idea for... Anxiety purposes. Yeah, for anxiety purposes for normal life, I wouldn't want to live by Murphy's Law, you know? Like, I wouldn't want to just go about my normal life and be like, oh, Murphy's Law, like, that's going to go wrong because that's just the way of the world. But it feels like this episode is very Murphy's Law because, like... These people, I mean, the things that these people went through is like, holy shit. Yeah, well, I mean, it's got to happen to somebody. It's just not going to be me. And I'll I'll stand by that. I'm going to say it's not going to happen to me either. Right. Why worry about it, you know? Yeah, sure. Right? But it could happen. What are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) It's always the ones that you don't think of that make you the most anxious. When you think that you've predicted everything that could happen. Is this like Final Destination type shit? Yes. Oh, God. It absolutely... Am I going to be scared to, like, I don't know, use a coffee cup tomorrow or something? You might. <laughs> Not use a coffee cup, but um, walk outside? I don't know. Walk outside. <laughs> Exist in the world? Like, perhaps? yeah. Like, maybe. Like, maybe. Okay. <laughs> well, there's one story in particular that I'm thinking about uh, that I'm going to tell you that you might be afraid to walk outside. So, yes. <laughs> oh, God. But yeah, this this episode is going to kind of give final destination, unfortunately. Well, here's here's my thought. It's already happened once. What are the chances it happens again? Okay, right? you know what? Hold that exactly. thought. Exactly. 
Hold, oh god hold no. that thought did somebody get struck by lightning twice <laughs> hold that thought shut the fuck up hold that thought. i think i've heard this story this is that person that is such bullshit for them you just hold that thought. let me jump the gun here yeah i'm gonna start how about that i'm gonna grasp it yeah you firmly. Fir- you firmly grasp that thought and i'm gonna start right now okay because right now we're gonna get into the story of anatoly petrovich Brogoski. great name very russian so Anatoly was an employee at the Institute for High Energy Physics in Protvino. Protvino is a town located about 100 kilometers south of Moscow. In 1978, Anatoly, a 36-year-old particle physicist, was one of the scientists working with one of the largest Russian atom smashers. Sweet. Right? Smashing atoms, bro. Yeah, totally. The U-70 synchrotron the synchrotron these are real words which lived <laughs> which lived below protvino magnetically accelerates protons protons magnetically accelerates protons in a one and a half kilometer long circular tube completely evacuated of air to just one kilometer per hour below the fastest speed in the universe damn so they're pretty close to the speed of light yes Exactly. Damn. Yeah. The accelerator held the world record in beam energy at the time of its construction and is still the highest energy accelerator in Russia. On June 3rd, 1978, a series of simple mistakes were made that led to a shocking discovery that nobody really wanted the answer to. What would happen when artificially accelerated protons carrying 70 billion electron volts of energy when they pass through a human brain. Oh, word. Don't do that. So that day, Anatoly was at work a few meters underground looking after the U-70's synchrotron's detector system with the hopes of eliminating some temporary failures it had been experiencing. As protocol dictated, he called the control room and told the beam operators that he'd be in the experiment hall in five minutes. These all sound... Experiment hall. Yeah, he called the beam operators in the control room. I'm sure that's what they said in Russian. Exactly. (laughs) Also, by the way, they should call it protrons. That sounds so much cooler than proton. Oh, yeah. I These are all words that I never, ever say. So excuse me if I sound like an absolute idiot. But this was important information for the beam operators because in the experiment hall, the main proton beam is shunted off from the main ring and directed through the open air at various detectors. Can you explain what that means? So... Shunted off? So from what I gather... Right. There is like a a beam of radiation that's going through this like tube. Yeah. And... They needed to shut it off because he was going to enter the room and it was invisible to him. So he couldn't see it. Right. Okay. So there's radiation in the room. They have to shut it off so he can come in. Yes. But it's like a very highly concentrated like beam of radiation. Like imagine like a laser of radiation. For the love of God, you guys, I went to acting school. I cannot stress this enough. And also, who cares? Sure. So, like, if they don't turn it off, he's going to get protons straight to the dome. Exactly. That's exactly (laughs) That's that's all we care about. If they don't turn off the electricity, and electricity meaning the proton beam, he's going to get it straight to the dome. Okay? For the love of God, shunt that thing. Shunt it now. 
Okay, that's probably the wrong way to say that, but... But you said shunt. I'm using your words. Okay, Why don't you like that? Does it sound icky? No, just please hold. I'm trying to tell a story. Don't shunt that... (laughs) Oh, God. Okay, so maybe this will help us clarify a little bit. My next point. What was meant to happen next was the control room should have removed the beam from the chamber Anatoly was headed toward. The door to that chamber should have been locked, and a sign should have been illuminated, telling Anatoly that the beam was still very much active inside, but he didn't see any of this. What Anatoly and the control room hadn't realized was that he had arrived at the chamber earlier than he had expected, and the automatic lock that should have prevented him from entering the room was turned off. The previous experiment that was taking place in that room was using a low-intensity beam, and apparently someone thought that locking the door was overkill. So they literally turned off the automatic lock system because they were like, we don't need it, it's fine. Oh, damn. Yeah, and the last line of defense was a single light bulb that illuminated a sign indicating that there was danger inside, but that light bulb had burnt out just before Anatoly had arrived. No fucking way. Yes. So all of these little things led to this catastrophic accident. So since he was an experienced operator, Anatoly did reportedly have doubts about entering the unlocked door to the chamber so easily, but he proceeded anyways. Inside of the chamber, packets of protons were still flying silently and invisibly through the open air. There was a pulsing beam between where Anatoly was and where he needed to go, but he didn't know it. And when he bent down to check the instruments, he like stuck his head into this chamber where the beam should have been turned off, but it was not turned off, as he had done many times before. But this time, he was instantly blinded when his head intercepted the particle beam humming with many trillions of protons moving at nearly 300 million meters per second. When this happened, he saw a flash that was reportedly brighter than a thousand suns. That's what he said. Whoa. The subatomic particles, each carrying 70 billion electron volts of energy, effortlessly passed through Anatoly's skin, skull, and brain. According to a later report, he felt no pain. Incredibly, after this freak accident, Anatoly Burgoski wasn't instantly killed, as one would expect, but after he saw the flash of light as bright as a thousand suns, he did know that something serious had happened and he was in trouble, but somehow he apparently finished his work in the chamber, logged his visit in a journal, as per usual, and then without saying a word to anyone about the accident, he went home. That's incredibly Russian. (laughs) It is incredibly Russian. Isn't that so funny? Uh, No big deal. Mm -hmm. Just basically saw God so bright. Right. And then went home. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a hard day at the office. That, yes. Needed a nap. A very hard day. How does your brain neurons not get scrambled? Like, I am really curious to see what happens. So he didn't die and he was able to continue functioning. Yes. That's insane. So much so that he finished his job, logged it, and went Uh, home. Yes. Drove home? Yeah, probably. Damn. Uh Uh-huh. And he didn't go to the hospital. That's wild, dude. He didn't didn't even be like, is this, like, why? 
Nope. And, I and he obviously knew something was wrong. Like he, at once it happened, he was like, uh oh, and then didn't do anything about it. Yeah, incredibly Russian move. <laughs> I can't. I just can't believe it. What a silly man. I mean, his brains were scrambled, dude. He probably's not not thinking straight. Well, maybe. Yeah, you're right. Maybe. Incredibly scrambled. Yeah. I mean, you're gonna like fault him for not thinking rationally. I mean, he just got the sun beamed into his brain. You're right. No, you're right. So the next morning, after some worrying symptoms, he was finally. What were those? Um. Well, his face had started to swell. Typically, a problem. Right. He was finally brought to doctors and dosimetrists. I looked up the pronunciation. I'm forgetting exactly what it is now, but I didn't exactly know what that was, but they generate radiation treatment plans and develop radiation dose calculations, for those of you who also didn't know. Um, And the left side of his head was very swollen. So his doctors immediately calculated the dose of radiation that he had received by this proton beam. The beam passed through the back of his head the occipital and temporal lobes of his brain, the left middle ear, and out through the left-hand side of his nose. The radiation dose at the entrance is 200,000 Rentgen, and at the exit it was more due to scattering of the material, so it was more like 300,000 Rentgen. And from what we know about radiation, about 500 to 600 Rentgen is enough to kill a person. And his brain had apparently absorbed 200,000 to 300,000. So it makes almost no sense at all that he didn't die that day. When doctors and scientists in Protvino first heard his story, they didn't believe him. But the symptoms and the severity of the situation soon convinced them. Burgoski was soon whisked away to Moscow, to the sixth hospital inside the Ministry of Media machine building, which actually specialized in radiation injuries. And after the Chernobyl reactor meltdown in 1986 and other accidents at nuclear reactors around the world, they had no shortage of patients. But no one had seen a patient like Anatoly Burgoski before. His face had swollen up beyond recognition. And he wasn't taken there under the assumption that he would be treated and survive. He was taken there so that doctors could observe his death over the following two to three weeks. Over the next few days, the actual path the proton beam took was revealed by the peeling skin and loss of hair that was happening. Given his condition, few staff thought Anatoly would survive, including Angelina Guskova, a pioneer of radiation medicine in the USSR, and the same woman who led the treatment of nearly every victim of the Chernobyl disaster. But with her overseeing his treatment, Anatoly did recover. However, what those treatments were, how long each took, and how he recovered specifically is unknown. Every document, statement, and testimony related to his treatment was immediately classified. It's believed that Anatoly Burgoski was able to survive such a massive dose of radiation because he was exposed to a tightly focused beam of particles. In Chernobyl and Hiroshima, the victims were exposed to high-energy gamma rays all over their bodies. Because the radiation was able to scatter, it impacted the health of the victim's entire body and organ systems. Only Burgoski's brain and skin were exposed to the high levels of radiation, which kept the damage concentrated in a single area. Luckily for Anatoly Burgoski, the area of his brain where the proton beam passed through managed to miss the essential parts of his brain. 
Because Bergowski is the only person to stick their head into a proton accelerator, we don't know if he survived because the proton beams impact the body differently than other forms of radiation. The accident was extremely rare, and there are no other case studies to specify why Anatoly survived. Yeah, I mean, why would there be? Exactly. You know? Also, what year was this in? 1978. I feel like this is a government plot. What? By the Russians. I feel like they classified his medical documents for what reason, and they scrambled his brains, and like everything went wrong at the right time at this job. I don't know. It feels like they wanted to whack him but not kill him. (laughs) I'm being serious. Like This is the late 70s in the Soviet Union. This is not completely unheard of. Yeah, but he was one of their scientists. Yeah, but I mean, if he was spouting off at the mouth about the government, he wasn't. They might have, I don't know. He didn't talk about his accident for a decade after he had it because it was highly classified and like he wasn't allowed to. Really? Yes. Okay, well, I mean, I just love a good conspiracy. But <laughs> it love, also, yeah. it, like, there, I don't, you know. It seems plausible, too. Yeah. I do still have more about him, though. Let's hear it. Though he had survived an unbelievable accident, the long-lasting effects would continue to emerge. He completely lost hearing in his left ear. He started having epileptic seizures. The nerves on the left side of his face were destroyed, paralyzing half of his face. The right side of his face did age, while the left side was frozen. So the left side of his face just stopped aging, which is really interesting. So, Um, let me get this straight. If I put my whole face in a proton beam... (laughs) You'll be... I'll be young forever. Exactly. It's the fountain of youth. That Maybe that's the... We should all do this. Maybe. Maybe that's the real secret. Okay. Taking notes here. (laughs) Right. Not only did Bergowski not die, but he remained a normally functioning human being capable of even continuing in science. A year and a half later, he returned to Protvino to work on the exact same beam and instruments that caused the world's first human particle accelerator accident. So he went, he went to work on the exact same thing a year and a half later. There was virtually no damage to his intellectual capacity, but the... Fa- For real? No. I am shocked. Yeah, but there was... He did have some mental fatigue. That's really the only thing. Like, it made him a little bit more tired after a little while. But he was able to have the exact same function. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. Who would have thought that? Like, such an intense beam of radiation scrambles the left part of your brain. What part of your brain's, like, for math? Is it the left? That sounds right. Because, like, oh, you're so left-brained. Mm-hmm. So they, like, blasted his math brain. And he was, like... <laughs> But they said it didn't go through anything that was, like, super important. Like, it, was, it wasn't it was through anything that was uh, super vital, so... Oh, okay. So it just had bad aim. Exactly, yeah. Okay. Well, I guess that's pretty lucky, but I don't know. Just even then, just the fact that something passed through your brain with whatever statistic you spotted off, like, that's just really crazy to me. Yeah, totally. Scientists published papers and dissertations surrounding his accident, but at the same time, Anatoly was working and returning to the radiation hospital in Moscow twice a year to continue his treatment and meet with other nuclear accident victims. Anatoly told Wired magazine in 1997, quote, Like former inmates, we were always aware of one another. There aren't that many of us, and we know each other's life stories. Generally, these are sad tales. 
Burgoski thinks of himself as a fortunate exception, a man in reasonable health, able to continue living a full life. For years, he was a poster boy for Soviet and Russian radiation medicine, which was entirely content to take the credit for his good fortune. However, when Burgoski finally decided to apply for disabled status, which would allow him to receive his epilepsy medication free of charge, the doctors chilled on him. Getting the medicine and treatment he needed was a nightmare. In the Soviet Union, radiation patients were only legally recognized after the Chernobyl disaster in 1986, which meant, according to the Ecological Truth Organization in 1998, quote, the entire material side of the cost of treatment and other compensation for damage to the health of victims is somehow legally related to Chernobyl. So Anatoly legally had the right to compensation and benefits, which was established by the law of the Russian Federation for the, quote, the social protection of citizens exposed to radiation as a result of the Chernobyl disaster. But of course, Anatoly Burgoski's health had nothing to do with Chernobyl, which for some messed up reason made him ineligible for the state insurance he was entitled to and badly needed. Officials apparently found it too difficult to understand or process this mini Chernobyl that he had been through. And for a very long time, they refused to establish a new kind of disability group for him. And no group meant even more difficulty getting benefits. For over a decade, Anatoly didn't speak about his accident because of the Soviet Union's policy of maintaining secrecy on nuclear power-related issues. But after they refused to help, and also collapsed, he finally shared his story and made it clear that he would be open to subjecting himself to a medical study, that way people could better understand what happened to him and maybe improve treatment for other people and other conditions. And he wanted, you know, Western medicine, like he wanted to maybe come over here and have that done. Yeah? Yeah. That's like a fucking nightmare. Well, yeah, also he wasn't getting medicine or treatment that he needed because he wasn't eligible because he wasn't a part of the Chernobyl disaster, which is so stupid. Why would you make a law for one group? Exactly. Like one specific thing. Right, exactly. That's It's dumb. Today, Anatoly Burgoski is still alive. He is happily married with an adult son, and he still lives in Protvino, Russia. So he's still doing his thing. And that's his story. Freak accident. That's insane. So he, I mean, he pretty much fully recovered. Well, I guess... I wouldn't say fully recovered. He's <laughs> He had a protein beam to the head but yeah well i was pro not protein proton protron protron yeah i was just recapping his symptoms so i mean but basically he was able to return to work yeah but later had seizures i mean i guess it's just amazing he survived period yes the fact that he maintained mental capacity is insane absolutely and he did end up getting treatment right i yeah i believe so so good for him i mean way too long but kind of ends happy he's hanging out with his wife and kid yeah but i think it also is like he couldn't afford to leave protvino so that kind of sucks because he couldn't get the support he needed from russia really? which really sucks but from a like scientist salary at a at like the one of the world-class facilities in your country i you can't yeah, afford I to leave your hometown i don't think so that's insane i know anyway shall we move on to move on number two this one i think you are going to enjoy i like this because it is very funny um so we have a new zealand truck driver stephen mccormick who got turned into a human balloon okay okay 
Stay with Wait, me. And I'm like, does he get like blowed up into a balloon? Kind of. Oh. Mm-hmm. So 48-year-old trucker Stephen McCormick was at a truck stop on the North Island. McCormick was standing on the rigging between his truck and trailer on his truck's footplate when he slipped and fell, breaking a compressed air hose off an air reservoir that powered the truck's brakes. He fell hard onto the brass fitting, which pierced his left buttock and started pumping air into his body at 100 pounds per square inch. He said, quote, I felt the air rush into my body and I felt like I was going to explode from my foot. In a matter of minutes, his body had blown to twice its size. He could only see out of one eye. He said, I was blowing up like a football. I had no choice but to just lie there, blowing up like a balloon. As the air pumped and McCormick began to scream, co-workers struggled to pull him off of the nozzle. In a life-saving move, they managed to stop the air supply and put him on his side. As McCormick struggled to breathe, co-workers tried to keep him calm by putting ice packs around his neck. It was an hour before paramedics arrived. So, Whoa. do you understand how he landed on this air nozzle? No. He fell on his butt on the air nozzle, and it blew air into him. But, like, into his muscle tissue? Yes. Whoa. Yeah. So, he's kind of like, who was that guy? Veruga? The blueberry girl yes. in, in Willy Wonka? <laughs> he is. <laughs> That's so sad. But it's kind of the same thing. He is kind of like Veruga. I want a pony. My and mom I, would always say that. I want it now. I want it now. <laughs> I think we can say Baruka. It's kind of ridiculous. He survives, right? He, of course he survives. Right. What, like, what is our show? Like, I know, but like, he survives in a nice way. Yes, he survives in a nice way. Okay. He survives in a funny way, even. That's cool. All right. Well, he... I mean, he sat on an air hose? Yes. And he became Baruka. I mean... That's ridiculous, but I mean, also scary. I mean, his coworkers saved him. Yes. His boss, Robbie Peterson, witnessed the accident and told ABC News his body started to literally blow up, and before we knew it, his face went up like a balloon. Peterson's son, Spike Peterson, is the manager of the company. <laughs> yes, Spike Peterson. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it just, it sounds like he should be on MTV. Yes, it does. Um, so Spike Peterson is the manager of the company and was also on hand at the time of the accident. It sounds like he's somebody who's on punked. It does. Sound you know, like, like yeah. Spike Peterson would come out after you got punked. He does sound like that. He said that their small town only has two ambulances and both were busy at the time of the accident. The nearest rescue helicopter based two hours away was also busy. He said we knew we needed help quick. He said the pain was unreal, but lifting him up and off of the nozzle was even worse. When paramedics tried to insert a needle for a morphine drip, the pressure from the air inside McCormick pushed the needle out. That's how Whoa. much air was inside of him. Well, yeah. I mean, he blew up to, what, twice the size, you said? Yes. It was like putting a needle inside a piece of rock. They were also unable to give him air through a tube in his nostrils. Doctors said the air filled his abdomen and chest, as well as the space around his heart, lungs, and even behind his eyelids. The air separated his fat from his muscles, 
and compressed his heart but had not entered his bloodstream. Can you picture that for a second? It separated his fat from his muscles. Whoa. Isn't that terrifying? That's terrifying and crazy, but also incredibly interesting that that's where the air goes. Yeah, I guess. But thankfully, it didn't enter his bloodstream because if it did, he would have died. What gas was it? Air? air? Yeah. Just air? Yeah, like air you pump your tires with. It was for like the brakes. Yeah. Being stabbed in the buttocks was crucial to his survival. Really? (laughs) That's what it says. It says, (laughs) quote, it's lucky it didn't hit an artery or else he would have bled to death. Oh, yeah. Yeah. After being rushed to the hospital, a team of five doctors put a hose through his ribs to get air to his lungs. Though doctors were able to get fluid out of him, the air had to come out the natural way, resulting in an enormous case of flatulence. (laughs) (laughs) No fucking way. He had to fart it all out. Yes, it took McCormick three days to go back to his normal size. And he was released from the hospital on Wednesday to continue recovering (laughs) at home. Oh my god. He had to fart all of the air out for three days. How amazing (laughs) were those farts? I feel like that had to be painful. But I know at some point it doesn't get funny. But how long did it take? I don't know. Was he in pain the whole time? I hope not. I really hope not, too. I was like, even if he was, though, just the fact that he just keeps farting and like, I assume he can't help it. And it's got to be loud. Of course, it's loud. It's got to be pressure under there. And they couldn't even stick a needle in him. That's how much pressure was in there. just letting it rip. And like every time you get a new nurse... They get to go through the new experience. Oh, my God. Like, they have to get used to it. I would rather... I think I would rather die. I would have so much fun with it. No, I wouldn't rather die. Like, you get the new nurse, like, Nicole. Yeah. And you're just like, you know, hey, just having a really hard... No. Time. That's quite enough. <laughs> you know? Thank you for the visual, the, the audio. I, I mean, I didn't make it real. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he quite literally had to fart out all of the air inside of him. So isn't that fun? What a unique human experience. Right? McCormick's mother, Tui McCormick, 78, said that her son completely recovered. He's good as gold. And he's back to new again. That's amazing. And his mother was... Think about that. His mother had to just take him home and let let him fart it out. And she had to be like, good job, son. You're farting she's like great. cheering him on. Of course. Of course she is. Rubbing, <laughs> you got it. She's like rubbing his back. You just let it on out, hun. She's like rubbing. Just let it on they're, out. They're from New Zealand. They're definitely not Southern. Okay. Well, they are from the South. Geographically. Okay. That's. How are they talking? Kind of. Aust- Fuck ye. Fought it out. I don't know. <laughs> Aren't they kind of Australian? Oh, you're going to get some fighting hands for that probably. Okay. Just, uh, just stop. Just stop with me today. Okay. I'm anyway. trying. Anyway, McCormick suffered no broken bones and no bruises, just a hole from where he was punctured. Leaving the hospital, he said, I really feel like the Michelin man. McCormick expected to return to work in two weeks after the accident, and now his friends, I'm sure, have a lot of nicknames for him that he never had before. And that's his freak accident. It's kind of insane. I'm so glad he recovered fully, though. Me too. And all he had to do was fart it out. I mean, out of all of them. That's not so bad. Three days? Yeah. I mean, Three days of farts? Come on. For the meme? That's I not so bad. It. All right, moving on. We've got Roy Sullivan. 
This feels like a fake name you would give. This is, he's very real. This is a very real person. He was the man who was struck by lightning. Do you want to guess how many times? Seven. Seven separate times. Boom. In Lucky his number. life. Lucky number. I would I, I would feel like say, at the sixth time, you're like, what's one more? Make it a lucky number. I would say that's probably a very unlucky number of times to be struck by lightning. Okay, suit yourself. And the only way that I can explain this progression of things is Roy Sullivan had sex with the wife of Zeus. There's no other explanation in my mind. Oh, yeah. He slept with Hera. There's no other option in my brain. Zeus had it out for Roy Sullivan. For real. And once you hear the specific instances of these lightning strikes, you're going to be like, there's no other explanation. Zeus was trying to kill Roy Sullivan. Yeah. But I guess not always kill Roy Sullivan. Zeus was just trying to fuck with Roy Sullivan. And, and that he did. And he really did. So let's talk about it. And at the end of it, Roy was like, it was worth it. Maybe. So <laughs> the typical bolt of lightning lasts less than half a second. It is one to six inches in diameter, spans nearly five miles, and can pack a punch of 100 million volts. Earth gets peppered billions of times a year, with lightning killing an estimated 24,000 people annually. Really? Yeah. That's a lot of people. Yeah, it is. Roughly 40 of those victims will be Americans. That's Isn't... not that many. What country is getting lightninged? I don't 24, know. 24,000? Apparently. Where are these... How do we only have 40 of those? I don't know. Do we not have that much people? That's just crazy to me. Do we have tens of people? Whatever. Another numbers. Let me fix it in the numbers. <laughs> you love that. Anyway, about 90% of lightning is intercloud fireworks that never reach the ground. The other 10%, what we see and run from takes place on a grander scale. Lightning shoots downward, but on occasion upward, if the cloud happens to be more positively charged than the ground. Thunder is owed to the lightning flash giving off millions of volts of electricity, which superheats the air to more than 50,000 degrees, five times the temperature of the sun. Cool. Yeah. Roy Sullivan was born in Greene County, Virginia on February 7th, 1912. He was the fourth of Arthur and Ida Bell Shiflet Sullivan's 11 children. That's a lot of children. Maybe they need a hobby. But <laughs> it also but also it was 1912. So they were doing something. I don't know. The uh, Sullivans something. They'd be fucking. Sure. You know, Hare was throwing that ass in 1912. Hera. There were reports. Zeus's wife of Hera throwing ass specifically in 1912 I don't know why I've heard that and I've always said that and I've always and I've always <laughs> said that Hera in 1912 threw that ass in a circle she was letting it loose <laughs> and I've always said that. and I've always said that and I will always stand by it she was irresistible yeah in 1912 well in 1912 was when he was born so okay roaring 20s roaring 20s probably 30s legality yeah roaring 30s during the depression right <laughs> what Hera, else was there to do Hera had to make it happen you know what i'm saying exactly she was showing them calves <laughs> don't say calves get out <laughs> get out of this tiny bathroom room 
see yourself out. She was. Reports say exactly that. Roy Sullivan didn't graduate from high school. Instead, he was much more of an outdoorsman. He was hiking the ridges and woods around Simmons Gap. He claimed to have once shot 30 rabbits in a single day as a boy, selling them for 25 cents a head. In his early 20s, Roy joined the Civilian Conservation Corps. He started working as a ranger in Shenandoah National Park in 1936. So I'm going to say that was the year that Hera was throwing ass. That's what I said. 1936. And he was hired on with the park's fire patrol in 1940. Roy was described as a brawny man with broad, rugged face who resembled the actor Gene Hackman. And that is a quote from Hera herself. Yeah. <laughs> I'm joking. So <laughs> our story begins on, in April of 1942. Roy had been in Miller's Head Fire Tower, a 15 foot by 15 foot fire lookout where Roy had been taking shelter from a vicious storm that was pounding Shenandoah National Park. Unfortunately for him, lightning rods had not yet been installed on top of the lookout tower, and it had been struck seven or eight times and had caught fire. So just in the time that he's been in this lookout, it had been struck eight times. Okay? So he, he's been unaffected by these. Correct. But now this Whoa. lookout is on fire. But it is raining. Correct. So he later told a reporter that the fire was jumping all over the place. So he had to decide to make a run for it, which turns out was a bad idea. You would think that lightning would strike the highest point. But Roy, as we will learn, is either extremely unlucky or, like I said, Zeus himself is personally after him. So just as he had gotten down from the tower and got a few feet away from it, blam. He was struck by lightning for the first time. He thankfully wasn't struck in the head. It was just his right leg and foot, but the lightning burned a half-inch stripe down his right leg and demolished the nail on his big toe. Blood spurted from his foot, draining through a hole ripped in his boot sole. Oh my god. So that was his first lightning experience. Phew. Well, kind of. We'll talk about that later, but... After his harrowing experience at Miller's Head Fire Tower, Roy enjoyed 27 years of uneventful skies. However, that streak ended in July of 1969, near Milepost 97 on Skyline Drive. Nice. He was driving in the southbound lane, driving a windy S-curved road, when a thunderstorm started rolling in. And when I was a kid, I was terrified of thunderstorms and lightning specifically, but I was always told that being in a car was the safest place to be. I always thought that it was because of the rubber tires, but it turns out that that's actually a myth. It's actually because the metal roof and walls of the car protect you, but that's only really true if the windows are closed. Did you know that? Did not know that. Yeah. Why? I guess because the lightning can get in and... It like sneakies Can in. bite you. Can get in and bite you. So as Roy drove down the road... He had his windows open? Yeah. For why? He was feeling crazy. As in rain? Would you let me tell the story? I'm sorry. I need relevant details right now. It's raining and he has his windows open. Maybe it was a sun shower. <laughs> <laughs> Would you shut up? This is ridiculous. His windows are down, okay? 
He's driving down a road. Lightning had blasted two trees on the side of the road and bounced off of those two trees and went directly through Roy's open window and struck him, knocking him unconscious behind the wheel. He got smacked in the face? Like, almost. He was he was hit, but not technically in the face. His wristwatch got cooked, his eyebrows were fried, any hair not protected by his hat was burned, and his car rolled to the edge of a huge cliff where it thankfully stopped before going over. Wait, he fell off a cliff too? No, no, no. He, his, his car rolled to the edge of a cliff, but stopped. Oh my god. Yep. How lucky. Uh-huh. He got struck actually at just the right time. Yes. Huh? Yeah. Dude. He was knocked unconscious after a lightning strike hit a tree, bounced off, and went directly through his car window at the perfect moment to go Oof. and hit him in the head. And it said, I think, I don't know if this one set his hair on fire, but it... You said it was protected by his hat. Okay, yeah, you're right. everything else got so, singed. Yeah, you're right. So, yeah, so some of his hair got burned. But this is, yeah, but the next few times his hair is going to catch on fire. Oh, the next few times. Right. Well, this is right. This is number two. So. Oh, these are not like, these are all separate occasions. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. Dude, Zeus has to chill. Zeus okay? is after him. I'm telling Enough. you. No. Make, okay. So. Make right with Hera and move on. It's uh, We're on strike number three now. So this is happening exactly one year later in July of 1970. Roy was out in his backyard tending to his garden one afternoon when there was no storm, okay? Lightning. <laughs> this is where the conspiracy starts. Here's, this is what's happening. So there's not even really a storm happening. He's out in the backyard tending to his garden. Lightning suddenly struck with a relatively clear sky, hitting a nearby power transformer near, near his trailer, which then bounced off that and then hit him in the left shoulder, sending him airborne. Airborne? Yes. So explain that. No. <laughs> no, thank you. Uh, this is ridiculous. These are all like bank shots. <laughs> he literally, what? like, there's no other explanation to me than Zeus literally looking down and being like, boom. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, fuck this guy. Like, fuck this guy. Fuck this guy. Fuck. And he just, like, misses, mm -hmm. but banks it. Or maybe he was going for the bank shot. Exactly. Maybe after the first time, He's he going just hit him rebound. directly. It's not fun anymore. Yeah. This is ridiculous. Like, I, I am on board with the Zeus theory because how else? This is going to happen four more times. Yes. How else does this happen? And wait, get this. A month later, his wife, Pat, got struck her one and only time being struck while she was standing out in the front yard. So Leave I'm, Pat out of this. I think I think that he was trying to get Roy, but accidentally got Pat. Or he was like, I could just get your wife too. See? Boom. Pat. In like a revenge type of situation. Revenge, yeah. Maybe. It's kind of fucked up, Zeus. That's what I'm saying. Anyway. Wait, was Pat okay? Pat was fine. But Pat got struck. Did he have any like... I mean, I know he got burnt the hair caught on fire but did he get it burnt was there like no damage from oh, any he, of these he got hurt like he would get burns and stuff and his his clothes would catch on fire like we're going to talk about specifically his hair catching on fire in the next one so let me just tell you the next one so this fourth time is even weirder okay 
in July of 1972. And the next, the other weird thing is that these lightning scenarios keep happening in July. It's so weird. It's like it happened in July of 1969, July of 1970, and now July of 1972. Hello? This is weird. Roy was working one of his normal shifts at the Shenandoah National Park and was in a small guardhouse. So he was inside. Okay. Okay where he was registering carloads of visitors who was arriving at the campground. Again, there wasn't even really a storm happening when all of a sudden, kaboom. Lightning annihilated a fuse box inside the guardhouse. He said the fire was bouncing around inside the station, and when my ears stopped ringing, I heard something sizzling. And that's when he realized his hair was on fire. Roy tried to stick his head in the sink in the bathroom, but it wouldn't fit under the faucet. So he used a wet paper towel to extinguish his hair, and then he drove to the Waynesboro Community Hospital. He lamented that he tried to lead a good life, but God seemed hell-bent on barbecuing him. Strike number four is when he went global. He was put in the Guinness Book of World Records as the only living man to be struck by lightning four times. And he was just getting started. Pretty much. After the fourth strike, Roy became pretty superstitious. Anywhere he went, he would carry a little flask of water just in case his hair caught fire so he could put it out. Or anytime he encountered a storm while he was out driving, he would just lay down in the passenger seat and wait out the storm because he was like, I'm not messing yeah, with not this. With yeah. this. On August 7th, 1973, while he was out on patrol in the park, Roy saw a storm cloud forming ahead, so he immediately turned around and started driving away quickly. He literally just saw a storm cloud. No doubt. And he turned the car around and was like, no, and he drove in the opposite direction. But the cloud, he said later, seemed to be following him. As soun as he felt like he had sufficiently outrun, outran, outrun? Yeah, outran. Outran the storm cloud. He decided that it was safe to leave his truck. So he, he felt like the storm cloud was gone. He had like outrun it. But as soon as he stepped out of his truck, he was struck by lightning. <laughs> <laughs> are you kidding? You can't make this shit up. Like, are you kidding me? He literally like turned his car around and tried to outrun a storm cloud, waited for it to go away, and then he stepped out of his truck and was struck by lightning. The Zeus theory is gaining traction. That's what I'm saying. The lightning bolt moved down his left arm and left leg, knocked off his shoe, and then crossed over to his right leg just below the knee. Still conscious, Roy crawled to his truck and poured the can of water, which he always kept there, over his head, which was on fire. <laughs> so it worked out. <laughs> yes. Oh my god. Is that not insane? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> What's great about this is that it's not even over. I it know. It's too much. I know. It's too much. I know. Oh, my God. And he, like, of course he's superstitious. Of course. Right? Of course he's paranoid. This poor man. He's got two more to go. I know. And I actually don't know a whole lot about the sixth one. I, I do know that it was in June of 1976. It was reported that he saw a cloud forming and that he tried to run away again and he was struck anyway. And also his hair caught fire again. That's what I know. So. Wow. Yeah. So did he also put it out with the water he brought? I'm him? assuming so. <laughs> you know, he just, 
Yeah, I mean, why wouldn't you carry that everywhere you went? Exactly, I'm assuming. So, at this point, he and Pat moved to a plot of land in the part of town just north of Waynesboro that seemed meant for him. It was called Dooms. Right. Right. Uh, But why? Just move to the desert, dude. Move to the desert. Yeah, I guess. But he never left this part of the world because this is where he grew up, is where he's staying, whatever. Yeah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. They parked their trailer, and Roy spared no expense on lightning rods. He put them on all four corners of his trailer. He fastened more rods to the TV antenna and six to the tallest trees around his property. Each was made of heavy gauge copper wire and sunk seven feet in the ground. Come to think of it, he probably should have put a lightning rod on his head. Because Yeah. So this brings us to the final strike, number seven. On June 25th, 1977, Roy was trout fishing in Shenandoah Park when he smelled sulfur and felt the hair rise on his arms, and he heard the distant sound of thunder. Before he had much time to do anything, he was struck by lightning right in his head. The lightning traveled down through him, burning his chest and stomach, and Roy collapsed to the ground, and somehow he managed to stay conscious. And he got up on shaky legs. He pulled himself together and scrambled his car where he bumped into a hungry black bear. Dude, this guy needs some luck for Christ. Uh Uh-huh. The black bear then swiped his lunch and the three trout on his fishing line. But Roy, whose hair was on fire, mind you, was not having it. Okay? So he grabbed a big tree branch that was on the ground, and he smacked the bear on the snout, and he shooed it away. And that was all it needed. It ran away. And then he grabbed the flask of water out of his car that he brought everywhere with him and poured it over himself and put the fire on his hair out. Oh, my God. Did he get his fish back? I don't know. I, I'm sure not. <laughs> this is but, insane. Yeah. He shooed a black bear away by hitting it in the nose. Mm-hmm. While his hair was on fire. Like, I feel like at this point of everything that he's been through, you got to imagine you've been struck by lightning seven different times in your life. Does nothing phase you anymore? You just don't give a shit anymore. Like, you've just given up to the point where you're hitting a black bear in the nose for fish. I feel like that black bear must have looked at him and been like, this is... He's dealt a with a monster. Yeah. yeah. This is either either he was thinking he's dealt with enough or he was like, this is something much more dangerous than I am. He's like, I might get struck by lightning if I stay by this guy. Yeah, exactly. Well, because his hair was on fire. He's like, this yeah, is I mean, this thing is no joke. You know? Yeah. I mean, like it's like the devil himself. Exactly. Hit you in the nose. Right. So he obviously drove home in a daze. And later claimed that this was the 22nd bear that he had fought off. So I guess he was no stranger to, like, bears because he was a park ranger. He's so. like, dude, they're a bunch of pussies, dude. <laughs> yeah, I guess. So, anyway, nobody technically witnessed any of Roy's seven strikes. Not his wife, not a fellow ranger. So it's possible that this is a fabricated story. But, on the other hand, newspaper articles do credit his family doctor park superintendent r taylor hoskins with verifying his injuries because he did go to the hospital and he had injuries and his clothes would have like burn holes in them and you know his hair would be burnt like he would 
have the injuries to kind of back up his story so it's like yeah i mean it's just such a it's such an outlandish story yeah you kind of at some point you gotta be seven times like are you lying but also there's such i feel like there's such specific injuries you would get from getting struck by lightning right yeah i mean or he's just like setting his hair on fire a bunch of times well sure but not it's not just like his hair being set on fire it's like you would get specific kind of like i feel like burn marks on yourself yeah like scars that would almost like look like lightning on your body wouldn't it you like harry pottered himself seven times like kind of that's how i picture it at least yeah me too and actually he may have been struck eight times because when he was a kid cutting wheat with a scythe in a field a lightning bolt had struck the scythe and it set the field ablaze so he when he was a kid he was like kind of indirectly struck by lightning then too but he wow. doesn't even like really count that as like his He's like, one oh, of his seven count. times yeah that's insane dude i know what a life yeah a george washington university statistics professor once calculated that the odds of somebody being whacked by lightning seven times is 4.15 in it's a one with 32 zeros behind it and i i looked up what that number even would be and it's 100 nonillion that's crazy that's a number i've never even heard of have you ever seen 32 zeros behind a one because it's a big number i've never even seen like 15 right and it's not like 32 is double that (laughs) right because of how tens work right right? you gotta conceptualize it wow so on the morning of september 28th 1983 roy did die at the age of 71 from a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head two of his ranger hats are on display at two guinness world exhibit halls in new york city and south carolina but he had a pretty extraordinary life if i do say so myself yeah this is pretty extraordinary he killed himself that's what it's looking like fuck man yeah i mean i guess just keeps happening it, it could be a lot of things so could be a lot of you things. don't really know what's going on in a person's life but True. being struck by lightning seven times or eight times is could i'm sure take a toll you know not helpful yeah um if a person is struck by lightning it can cause cardiac arrest which stops a person's body from circulating blood and cause direct injury to the brain and nervous system preventing the brain from being able to send the appropriate signals to tell the body to continue breathing Strikes can also cause a brain to hemorrhage or stroke, as well as tissue injuries and deep thermal burns within the body. Tissue near bones can suffer the worst damage, since a person's bones are the most resistant part of the body to the lightning. Lightning strikes may cause a number of neurological conditions and brain damage. A person may slip into a coma, experience pain and numbness or weakness in limbs, suffer from spinal cord injuries, or develop sleep and memory disorders. Many survivors are left with physical disabilities and or psychological impacts, including memory loss, depression, anxiety, and PTSD. Even if you are just near the site of a lightning strike, you can still experience damage. Ruptured eardrums can occur from the thunderous sound waves created by the nearby strike. Also, minor thermal burns and nervous system damage can occur through an indirect strike where the body is only exposed to a fraction of the energy of the lightning. So... All that being said, it's pretty spectacular that he was not killed one of those seven or eight times that he was struck by lightning. Yeah. Knowing that all of those things can happen. 
if you're struck by lightning or even indirectly struck by lightning. It's pretty remarkably unlucky, but also lucky, yeah. depending on how you look at it. Right. So that's the story of Roy Sullivan. Crazy, yeah, right? That's an insane story. I know. Those were our freak accidents. Those are the stories I have for you today. And if we enjoyed the freak accidents, I feel like I can definitely do another episode like this because there are so many like smaller stories like this where it's just insane survival stories that aren't big enough to do an entire episode on, but I have been dying to talk about because, you know. Right. I mean, they're all truly remarkable. Yeah, they're they're out there. Like, I feel like I've been reading about Anatoly Brogowski for so long. I've seen his story for so long, but I just like it, it's just not big enough to do an entire dedicated episode because it's like there's just not, you know, it, like that's the entire story. So it's like, yeah, all the information is classified. Right. Exactly. Thanks, Soviets. Sure. But yeah, I don't know. I think it could be an, a, a good a good series. This could be a new series. Exactly. Kind of like Pet Heroes, how we did or, a couple of those. Or listener stories. Exactly. I mean, different, but you know, maybe we'll do a ghost segment. Spooky. Ooh, fun. Spooky segment. Yeah. I, there was another story that uh, I saw that I was looking into that was giving very final destination. Um, okay. It had to do with someone being run over by a train. So okay. maybe we'll start. A teaser? Yeah, I'll, I'll tease that one and maybe we'll start with that one next time. Because, oh my God, that one is crazy. Gotta watch out for trains. You really do. Anyway, what do you have? What do you think about our freak accidents today? Did you enjoy them? I enjoyed them a lot. Good. Even though this was very unfortunate for these people. Yeah. The ga- the pro- proton ray was incredibly interesting. Yeah. That it just beamed, and then he was mentally still the same. That he he was able to go back to work to his old job. Yeah. yeah. I just I just say still don't get it. Pretty cool. And then can you imagine farting for three days straight? Farting out like. You're two times your body size. Does it smell? It can't smell, right? I feel like it could. Maybe. It's got a fester in there a little bit. <laughs> Ew. Ew, I'm sorry. I take it back. But it's it's three days of con like the festering has to stop at some point. It's a constant flow. There's no festration. But it's the Ew. Um, it's not like constantly streaming out of him. It was like he was <laughs> I just mean the frequency is like high enough that it wouldn't fester for too long. I guess. Imagine if his nurse was like really hot. <laughs> That's just what I kept picturing, you know, like a really hot nurse coming in and he was just like farting. Could you imagine he's farting while he's asking her out to dinner? Mm, yeah. That's unfortunate. I feel like you got to lean into it. Or or um you could just go home with your tail between your legs and fart it all out and then you know and <laughs> then bring the fart covering the fart and then you come back four days later after you have farted it all out and then you ask nicole out or she's into it and that's even weirder dare i say but works for him i'm not trying to kink shame but that's even weirder <laughs> if you need to fall onto a compression air hose and blow yourself up to three times the size and then fart it all out for your partner to for be love. into you for love okay sometimes then, you gotta do what you need to do then she's not that into you bro <laughs> <laughs> she's not right for you man <laughs> um anyway it would be one hell of a fling though it would be <laughs> anyway maybe you should just go and find hera she's <laughs> she's throwing ass somewhere so 
No, not anymore. You're right. And then after 1936, it was a great year. Yeah, and I've always said that. So (laughs) anyway, what's your good thing? We started booking our road trip, and I'm excited for the Grand Canyon. I've never been. I want to see the rocks. I want to... All the rocks. I want to look at them and go, oh, wow, it's it's really orange. Speaking of freak accidents, we should not go near the edge of the Grand Canyon. I was also very cognizant of that. I was like... This is not the way I'm going to go. Yeah. Is some idiot podcaster of a survival podcast. Right. Taking a selfie on the edge mm-hmm. and finding the end. I actually uh, saw my life flash before my eyes on the edge of the Grand Canyon when I went there the first time. So I will not be repeating that mistake this time around. Yeah, no, thank you. So, yeah. Um, when I told uh, my mama, my grandmother... Um, that, and shout out mama and we love mama uh that i was going to the, the grand canyon again she told me um please don't go near the edge and i was like i won't be queen simply won't and i simply won't be but yeah that's a good thing we are gonna go to albuquerque to a restaurant that i have been dreaming about since i was last in albuquerque for years four years ago so very excited about that um yeah good all good things What is your good thing? Yeah, my good thing is that I am going to Dublin and I'm going to be kicking it with my bestie in Dublin because she's been there for almost a year now and I haven't seen her in almost a year. And you got to see her. Yeah, I'm really excited. What are you guys going to do? I have no idea. The only thing we have planned as of right now is we're going to go on a ghost tour. That's so you. Is there not like a... Is the Blarney Stone different? It's not a Dublin thing? I have no idea. What, the, I know it's in Ireland, but I don't know where it is. Is Dublin in Ireland? Of, yes, King. Dublin's yeah, in Ireland. Okay, I'm just asking. Stop it. <laughs> um, I, th- I was like, I just wasn't sure. I was like, okay, Dublin, Ireland. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. I just wanted validation. And you've got it. Okay, well, go kiss the stone or something. Anyway... I'm going, to, I'm going to Dublin. It's my, that's my good thing. I'm very happy for you. Thank I, you. I hope you do some cool stuff. See the ghosts yeah. and yeah. tourist shit. Thanks. Stuff. Um, anyway, <laughs> thank you guys so much for listening. If you would like to look at all the pictures we post of all the stories we talk about, check us out on Instagram at not underscore podcast. If you would like to check out our Patreon and get access to a bunch of bonus episodes and vote on them, check us out at patreon.com slash nottodaypodcast. If you or anyone you know has a story of survival or a near-death experience that you would like to share with us and possibly hear on an upcoming listeners episode, send it to knowtodaypodcast at gmail.com. We have a TikTok that is on Today Podcast and a Twitter that is on Today Podcast, but the T on the end of podcast is a three. Because that makes sense. And just keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>